0: There are very few things that investors can do that are free, but what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch, hosted by the CM Group. Free Lunch will bring listeners the team's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome
1: back to the Freelance Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, here we are again. We are. I seem to say that quite often these days. I'm not sure why. Pretty much every week. Pretty much every week. But last week we talked about the movie Dumb Money. I enjoyed that conversation a lot, but it is a little troubling to me at some of the herd mentality or the FOMO mentality when it comes to investing. We've seen so many thematic investment ideas over the years. You can think of some recent ones off
2: the top of your head, I'm sure. Sure. What jumps out at me is the fact that people get all excited about things when you can make money fast, and nobody gets really excited about making money slowly over long periods of time, which is the way it has to be for 99% of us. So I think what we're talking about today might fit more into that category.
1: Yeah, today we're pleased to have a guest joining us to discuss things like fundamentals, markets, the economy. It's Paul Rice. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, he'll tell me in a second. But Paul is an executive vice president in the Newport Beach office at PIMCO. He's responsible for total return, global income, dynamic bond, and enhanced cash strategies. Prior to joining PIMCO in 2000, he was with a company called Transamerica Asset Management, where he was responsible for business strategy and product development. Now, this fella, Greg, has almost 40 years of experience, so I know he knows what he's talking about. He holds an undergraduate degree from the University of California, Berkeley, and an MBA from USC. Now, the pinnacle of his career, I'm sure. Paul, welcome to the Free Lunch Podcast.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it and appreciate you inviting me to join.
1: Now, firstly, I think I butchered your last name. How do you actually pronounce your last name? It's Reese. I think I was close. It was close. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Craig, you want to kick us off? So first of all, Colin gave a bit of a background on you and where you started, but maybe just flesh it out a little bit. How did you end up here today?
3: I started off in public accounting and really got a good education in business and understanding really the numbers behind anything that you might be looking at. And then I worked for a startup group of restaurants and it was pretty exciting, but it was a startup. And at some point we had to I had to focus on something that was a little bit more stable. I was at Transamerica for a number of years. I worked on business strategy, and then shifted into fixed income. And fixed income solutions for investors. And then about 24 years ago, moved over to PIMCO, focused 100% on fixed income, And what I've done over the years is I've worked with clients. I've worked with our portfolio management team. I've developed portfolios and funds. I would call it a marathon versus a sprint. It's been a fun experience.
2: That's awesome. Just building on that, then you've got all of this background with everything from public accounting to startups to working with strategy and fixed income. And so, my question to you, based on all that, What is the coldest city in Canada that you have been to? And tell me how you ended up where you were. We know the backstory, but why don't you give the listeners a little bit of background there?
3: The coolest city is Regina, and also probably the coldest experience I've ever had. I was working with a number of colleagues, and we were going through Regina, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, but really through the central part of Canada. And when we landed, it was minus 40 degrees, which is minus 40 in Fahrenheit and centigrade. It's about the only time that they actually can. That's right. When we landed, I was wearing my heaviest coat. And one of my colleagues looked at me and said, what are you doing wearing your spring coat? Oh. <laughs> now, this is it. I live in California. I just came from the beach and I was... Wearing t shirt and shorts over the weekend. (laughs) And here I am landing in minus 40 degree weather with the heaviest jacket I could possibly pull out of my closet. And I guess it's a spring coat for Canadians.
2: There you go. I guess the key learning from that is when planning business trips to Saskatchewan, make it in the summer. Now, moving on from that, Paul. So just before we get into some of the questions we have with regards to what's going on out there, can you maybe just expand a little bit on? what an executive vice president at PIMCO does on a daily basis? Because you have a lot of responsibility, total return, global income, dynamic bond, enhanced cash. What does a day look like for you?
3: The way I describe my role at PIMCO is I have three responsibilities. One is building out our business strategy. I think of each of those fixed income strategies that you mentioned as solutions for clients and clients have their asset allocation, they'll allocate fixed income. And so what we start off with is what are the general themes? What are clients looking for and how can we solve those issues for clients? And so that's building out the business strategy. Second is I sit side by side with our traders, with our portfolio managers. So I know exactly what's going on in the portfolios. What I try to do is simplify it for clients. And so there may be, let's say, a really complicated trade that's being employed in a portfolio. And what I try and do is step back at a higher level. And when clients are asking about what are you doing in the portfolios, try to make it so that they understand. And then the third part is I don't have client relationships. So I work with our account managers and our client management team And really, that's where we're connecting with clients and trying to create solutions for them. So those are the three pieces.
1: So everybody always talks about the stock market. You turn on the news in Canada, and I'm sure it's similar there. The main things that the news always reports is like the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, the price of oil, to which they quote West Texas crude, which is not really our price in Canada, but that's another story. They quote the Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar but nobody ever talks about where the bond market is. It doesn't hit the main stage on the news, but the bond market is way bigger than the global stock market. Could you just talk a little bit about the power of the bond market and maybe why it doesn't get the same press as the stock
3: market? Yeah, some people would say bonds are boring. Of course, working at Kenco, we'd say it's actually pretty exciting and interesting. And the bond market is about 120 trillion in size. And that is nearly double the size of the equity markets. And this is the global bond market. And there are so many areas in fixed income that you can invest in and so many countries and regions of the world and so many different markets that let's just say it's in Canada, the Canadian bond market's about a little over 2000000000000 so compare that to the global bond market of $120 trillion, there are so many different choices. For a Canadian investor, if they're only focused on the Canadian bond market, they're not going to have as many choices as if you just step back and look at the world, and there are so many opportunities to invest. And then depending on the environment, the bonds are pretty stable, and they're what we'd say is a diversifier to equities. So equities can provide 25 30% returns. You can also lose that much. Bonds are going to be a little bit more stable. And so bonds can help to protect someone's portfolio if equities are selling off or if equities are doing incredibly well. When you have an allocation to bonds in a portfolio, you can still earn in this environment 5 6% which is a reasonably attractive return. That wasn't the case two years ago. But as we've come out of the pandemic and central banks are fighting inflation, rates have gone up. And so yields in the bond market are much more attractive. Well,
2: that's actually a good segue, Greg. That's right. Yeah, we wanted to ask you, Paul. So COVID-19 certainly changed the way markets were working for some period of time and how the economy was functioning as well. Our question is, where are we? Is the pandemic impact gone? Has the pandemic changed the way markets will work for a long time into the future? And what can investors do as we work our way through this?
3: What we do is we look at the economy. We base our investment strategy on our macroeconomic forum process. And so we look at the state of the economy. We're looking at it every day, but we'll do that four times a year. And going into COVID 19 or going into the pandemic, the global economy was pretty strong. Interest rates were starting to creep up. Inflation was under control. And this was because we had a decade after GFC or after the global financial crisis in 2008, we had a decade where corporations were cleaning up their balance sheets, where the fundamentals were really improving. So going into the pandemic, we had a lot of economic strength. And then the pandemic hits and it changes everything. And the one lesson that I think central banks learned because of the GFC in 2008 is if they can provide stimulus, they can stabilize the economy. But what happened was rates dropped to zero during the pandemic. If you looked at assets across the board that you could invest in, yields were basically zero. But central banks were providing stimulus. Individual investors increase their savings rate. They had more cash or more money to invest. And now four years later, what we're starting to see is that they've been spending some of that. So we are getting to that tail end of having that stimulus money that's sitting on the sideline that helps to give individual investors some margin or some cushion. So we're getting to the end of that Central Bank of Canada, the Fed have both raised interest rates and inflation is slightly coming down. Although yesterday there was a surprise in terms of the inflation print, but we're at a point where yields are high and attractive than fixed income. Much of that money's been spent. It's a balancing act in terms of fighting inflation, but also trying to create what we call a soft landing. So, not trying to, as a result of high interest rates, trying to make sure that we don't have a recession. We're at a point where it's a balancing act.
2: We went into last year, 2023, with economists pretty much all on one side of the will there be a recession argument with pretty much everybody agreeing that there would be a recession, which I guess in hindsight is almost a guarantee that there wouldn't be a recession. But the question is, so it's on people's minds again. So here we are a year later. There are still concerns. We talked about the potential for soft landing and the Federal Reserve's ability to manage that. Where does PIMCO stand on this? What's the outlook for inflation, for interest rates, and a possible recession?
3: So in terms of inflation, it was, let's call it, reasonably easy to fight inflation, get it from an 8% level down to about a 4% level. Then it's been a bit of a grind or slow shift down to about 3% inflation and the target's 2%. At the same time, the balancing act was, and you're right, a year ago, we all thought there would be a recession. There was a high probability of that. When we have a baseline in terms of our evaluation, we'd say there will be an economic slowdown. By definition, it could be a recession, but if it's a recession, it's a shallow recession and it's more definitional than anything else based on the data, that would be two quarters of negative growth. That would constitute recession. Others would say if growth is slowing down, but there's still growth, that's a soft landing. Our view is that inflation isn't completely under control. If you think of a situation in Middle East and Ukraine, oil prices could increase once again, supply chain is being disrupted right now. That creates the possibility that Inflation, again, starts to increase because the cost of goods goes up. So that's something that we have to think about. The other side of it is that these rate hikes, it takes about 18 to 24 months for them to really have an impact. We're about there. And GDP growth is slowing down, but seems to be relatively stable. But at the same time, there could be some kind of impact from these geopolitical events that creates a recession. Our baseline is somewhere in the middle.
1: I know your focus is fixed income, but I know you're also very well versed in the equity markets. In the past few years, we've heard of things like the death of the 60-40 portfolio, which is quite a common headline that seems to cycle around every few years. Then the next headline is, well, it didn't really die. It's back again and things are okay. My question is, in 2022, because this is a real question we get from clients all the time, stock market was down 20 to 30%. My bonds were supposed to help me in that time, but they were down 12% and they're still sort of recovering. What was the point of owning those bonds if they also went down with stocks? How do you answer that question to people that pose it?
3: In my career, I've only seen that happen twice where uh, stocks and bonds move in the same direction and it's not a positive direction. That was 2013, the taper tantrum Ben Bernanke mentions that there's the possibility that the Fed will raise rates and global markets reacted, equities and bonds sold off, and then there was a quick recovery. In 2022, everyone believed bonds were back. That at least was the mantra. And with rate hikes having an impact, that led to negative return. For obvious reasons, in fixed income, if rates go up, prices fall, that led to a negative return. At the same time, the narrative was these rate hikes are going to lead to a recession. And when you have a recessionary environment, that's when equities sell off. So really it was almost like a perfect storm. The market reacted to that news, equities sell off, and the fixed income at the time wasn't really helping to protect portfolios. The one key difference would be with fixed income, that drawdown wasn't as significant as the equity drawdown. And that's really the way fixed income and bonds should react, which is you're not going to get a 30% drawdown, but you're also not going to get, unless in small circumstances, you're not getting that 30% return as well. That's what you get with equities.
2: And is it true, Paul? I mean, my experience is that when things become correlated like stocks and bonds did in 2022. It doesn't tend to last very long. So people get very focused on it. Oh my gosh, diversification doesn't work anymore. But all you had to do was wait a little bit and it'll come back. So is that just another short-term thinking as opposed to longer-term strategy, say?
3: It is short-term thinking. When I first started at FNCO, I would get questions about what happened yesterday. The way we invest in a way was a good learning opportunity for me as well when I first started here is we look at longer term trends and we try to take the emotions out of investing. So to your point, even when you look at a two or three month time period and correlations go to one, they're exactly the same. Markets tend to stabilize and normalize. And so when they do, if you're a longer term investor, then you'll tend to get returns that make sense, that normalize. I think that's probably the best term to use, and it's tough though talking to clients. I'll give you an example. You could call my mother a client, but she's in her eighties, and I can guarantee you that when the market fluctuates, or even when we had the banking crisis last year in March, her question related to that was, "Should I pull all my money out of the banks?" The answer is no. It's a small segment of the banking industry. It was three different banks in the U.S. That was it. You try to calm people down, but they do react that way. It's more emotional. And as I said, we tried to take the emotion out of it, look at longer term trends. And when we're positioning portfolios and when we're looking at performance, it's really thinking about it over the long term.
1: Greg, I got a quick story about dealing with your mom. I remember during the credit crisis, I was at my mom's for dinner. She was passing me the potatoes. Tears were rolling down her cheeks and she looked at me and said, what did you do to me? And I said, mom, I didn't do anything. The market's just down. And then fast forward a few years later and things were flying high and I'm at her place for dinner and she's passing me the potatoes and she says, you're doing such a great job, son.
2: And I said, mom, I haven't done anything. The market's just up. (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) One of the things, Paul, and this is my thing, I actually find fixed income quite interesting, but you made the point earlier that a lot of people are investors, possibly, and even professionals. We know lots of advisors who just don't take fixed income all that seriously. They're equity guys and they think, okay, if you're going to have a portfolio, you want it to grow and you got to own stocks. But what I find interesting, and maybe you can help people at home understand this, is when you're looking at analysts or equity fund managers, they're making decisions based on certain facts, like they know what a company earned last year. They have assumptions about what the company may earn in the future. They may do discussions with management to see if they can get a kind of an inside look on what's going well in the company, et cetera. And they come up with an earnings estimate and then they apply a multiple to it, which could be highly variable depending on what's going on in the market, to come up with a target price. Bond markets are a little different than that. There's a lot of facts that you know about things in the bond market without having to make guesses or predictions about the future. You know what the shape of the yield curve is. You know that barring defaults, bonds are going to mature at par at some point in the future. So maybe just talk a little bit about, I won't say bond management is easy, but there's a lot more facts that you can deal with than possibly in the equity markets.
3: And that's why I mentioned earlier, we start with our top-down macro backdrop. That really gives us at least a general view as to Where are we today? Where are yield? Where are valuations? And then the macroeconomic environment is what about the GDP growth? What about inflation? What about the reaction of central banks? How much stimulus will they either provide to the market or pull away? And so there are some uncertainties, but what we attempt to do is take that top-down outlook And then apply that to our portfolios, because at least it gives us an idea of the general direction of interest rates, the general direction of economic growth, and then with inflation, whether or not it's under control. So we take that at the top level, the next level, then it depends on the sector. So if you invest, let's say, in the government sector, for the most part, if you were investing in Canadian T-bills or US treasuries, pretty solid, pretty secure. Canadian markets, AAA market, the U.S. market was, and then we had our downgrades, but still relatively safe. And then it's just more, you have interest rate sensitivity. And you'll have, in the U.S., we've had political uncertainty, but at the same time, the U.S. has never defaulted on debt. So you know that there's some safety from that sector. When you get into the corporate sector, though, then the analysis is very similar to what an equity analyst would look at, and that is the financials. But our top down is what about the industry? What about the environment? What about how will the economic environment have an impact on the industry? What about the top down? And then for us, it's will they repay us? And we're trying to avoid a default. So those are two sectors, credit, investment grade, high yield, and government sector. But there are so many other sectors that we can invest in. And that's where I'd say it can get very complicated. There's residential mortgages in real estate. There's commercial mortgages in real estate. And that's where it actually does become really complicated in terms of how you evaluate those securities. But that's where you can find some interesting opportunities that you wouldn't see if you were just investing in equities. And then the other component would be if you're investing globally, I'll give you an example. You can look at valuations across different markets. So let's say we decided that there's an automobile company that we like, and you can look at a bond that's issued in US dollars, Canadian dollars, you're in the euro and Australian dollars. And so you have four different choices. You have more than that, but you have four different choices because they're issuing bonds in all four countries or regions. You can either buy one equity, or if you like the company, you can also pick and choose which market makes the most sense. The answer is it can be complicated, but it really is a broad market. And the world is huge, and there are a lot of opportunities to identify best opportunities.
2: I think you've just summed up exactly why investors should seek a professional manager for their fixed income portfolio as opposed to trying to pick a few bonds for themselves. So thank you for that.
1: I have a question on that, Greg. This would come right from our retail clients that we deal with during, obviously, 2022 and other down years. Not that there's been a lot. The question would be, why do I own those bond funds? Why don't I just own individual bonds? Because at least I know that they're going to mature and I'll get my money back. And or why don't I own structured notes instead of bond funds or bonds? So how would you answer that sort of multi-layered question?
3: Let me address it related to both. So if they own individual bonds where they've created a bond ladder, basically you buy a bond, it matures, you replace it, and then you buy another bond. They know exactly the money, what they're getting back. The disadvantage of doing that would have been, I would say it's going to be going forward because it can work in many environments. But assuming that rates are going to stay relatively high when that bond matures, if inflation is under control and central banks have cut interest rates, they're going to reinvest at a lower rate. Whereas if we, as an active manager, we can trade in and out, what we're doing over the last couple of years is we're selling bonds and reinvesting in higher yielding bonds. And now what we've created are portfolios with yields that are in the range of one to two, even 3% higher, and if someone were holding one of those bond ladders, because they would have been investing, would still have holdings that have close to 0% yields. That's one example. Structured notes, they are attractive in the sense that the yield that you're getting, structured notes are usually issued by solid counterparties, So that's not an issue. It's not like there will suddenly be a default. So that's avoided. What you miss out on in that case is if you want to pull your money out, usually there's a penalty if you want to pull your money out early. So the liquidity isn't quite there. So let's say you invested $1,000. I don't know exactly what the charge would be, but you might get $900 back if you needed the money today. The structured note has a maturity. And then the other component is you're getting this fixed rate. And let's say two years ago, you invested in a structured note and it's yielding 2% okay, right now you could get just by investing in a bond strategy that's active, you could get 5 to 6%. And so you're missing out on that.
2: Paul, with all of your experience, what would you say is the number one thing investors should be doing now and in the future? Or maybe stated differently, what's the best piece of advice you'd give to, say, a younger version of yourself, knowing what you know now when it comes to investing?
3: I'll give the short-term and long-term answer. The short-term answer is just going to come from being a bond investor. And that is, if you look at bond yields today, they're high and very attractive. And the bond market is positioned really well for, whether it's a recession or an economic slowdown, positioned really well so that somebody could get, let's say, a 6% yield. That's an estimate of future returns, plus pick up some capital appreciation because yields will most likely fall over the next 12 to 24 months. Longer term, though, and you had asked a question about 60-40 allocation, really try to stick with an allocation. It doesn't necessarily have to be 60-40, but really just be disciplined about that. Sure, take advantage of opportunities. If bit of money that you want to set aside because you want to take some risk, go for it. That should be part of that 60%, which is usually 60% equities or what I would call now risk assets. And then Keep some stability in your portfolio with fixed income, keep it balanced, and think about it over the longer term. If I were telling my younger self, it really would be that because I got caught up in the late 90s, early 2000s with the technology bubble. I got caught up in that just like everybody else. And I didn't get caught up in cryptocurrency. If you focus on one sector of the market, it's a huge bet. You're taking a gamble. So stick with something that is a little bit more stable in terms of your asset allocation.
1: Pretty good advice, I would say. Excellent advice. I think if I could sum it up, what he said was maybe work with a member of the CM group to establish your goals and make sure you're invested properly. Sure. That's what I heard.
2: (laughs) So should we finish with a speed round, Greg? Sure. First of all, thank you, Paul. That was excellent information. And I'm sure listeners got a lot out of that. Just to finish it off, toss you a few softballs here. When you're not working, which sounds like you work a lot, but when you're not working, what do you do for fun?
3: I do a number of things. Love to ride bikes. Going back to my early 20s, living in California, one day I was able to go to the ski slopes and get down to the beach and get to the ocean. So I haven't done that frequently, but I like both. I like to ski and like spending time at the beach.
1: Yeah, I like spending time at the beach too, but we live in Calgary and it's winter, so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What about any books you're reading right now? Anything that you'd recommend?
3: Usually I just read fiction. With all of the technical reading and everything that I do during the day at work, usually end up, for example, Lee Child, the Jack Reacher series. There's something like 20 books in the series. So that's something that's fun reading if you like adventure and crime solving.
1: You mentioned you started your career in the restaurant startup business. Have you watched the show The Bear?
3: I did. It's a great show. No, it won a bunch of awards. But yeah, that was something that appealed to me just because of having worked in the restaurant business. And it's realistic too.
1: Yeah, people get stabbed. Oh, I shouldn't give away
3: parts (laughs) of the plot. Okay, maybe that wasn't realistic. (laughs) Your
1: last question, we ask it of every U.S. guest. So whoever brought you here should have prepared you for this one. You've spent time in Regina and Saskatoon, to which Greg's from Regina. I'm from Saskatoon which is in the province of Saskatchewan. How do you spell Saskatchewan?
3: That's (laughs) you're going to catch me on that one. S-A-S-K-E-W. I know I'm not going to get this right, but E-W-A-N, Saskatchewan. I'm probably missing a letter.
2: Just missing the middle part. Good enough. Not bad, and we appreciate some of our guests who have been on more than once are ready with their phones and are Googling Saskatchewan while we're talking to them. So thanks for being honest. Let's just put it this way. Having hailed from
1: Saskatchewan, there are t-shirts there. They say, Saskatchewan, hard to spell, easy to draw. Because it's basically like a rectangle, right? (laughs) So it's. Anyways, thanks for your time today, Paul. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this with us. And we really appreciate all the work that PIMCO does. Greg, are we recommending PIMCO to investors? Of course we are. Absolutely. They're part of our model portfolios. And we really appreciate the relationship we have with you and your company. So thanks for doing that.
3: Thank you, Greg and Colin. Really appreciate it. And it was an honor to be here. I definitely appreciate it. Awesome. Then I guess till next time. You
0: bet. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insights on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Woodguard client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and its subsidiaries, including CIBC Woodguard, a division of CIBC World Markets Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Woodguard is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets Inc.